If you've got your Bibles, how many, how many believe the Bible is the Word of God? Yeah, me too, me too, me too. Matthew 28 is where we're going, but I want to do something uh, of a personal nature, if you would uh, humor me for just a moment. But today is April 9th, and 40 years ago, on April 9th, my wife and I got married. And uh, I just, I want to honor, I want to honor her 40 years ago. Well, I, I was a, a, a sailor, a Navy, you know, I was in the na- Navy, and I was going to her dad's church, and uh, her dad uh, picked me out for her. <laughs> well, I think he did. But anyway, she was with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, on a missions trip. And I was serving the Lord on fire for God, and before you know it, we became friends, and then we became best friends, and then she threatened to be an airline stewardess if I didn't marry her, and I I, I asked her quickly to marry me, and she said yes, so 40 years. But I just want to say this in a very serious note. Um, It has been the most wonderful 40 years of my life, and you are one of the godliest people that I know, and I'm not just saying that, a Proverbs 31 woman. She is kind. I've never seen her say an unkind word. I've never heard her curse someone. She goes to hospitals when nobody else will go. She goes to the mission field and the places where nobody will go. She has a heart that loves people, but she has been a faithful wife, a mom, a grandma, a Lonnie. And uh, I just want to say that I love you and I'm honored to be your husband. Well, Pastor Travis told me I preach better after a kiss, so I, I try that a little more. Uh, was that everything you wanted me to say? Okay. Okay, hey, today, uh, 2.2 billion people on the planet. Roughly a third of the planet are Christians, and today we are celebrating collectively, wherever we are in the world, whenever this Easter Sunday morning happened, we are to collectively celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this historical event that no one can deny happened, and uh, we are joining with other believers in doing this. And here's the historical account, Matthew 28, verse 1. It was early on Sunday morning. You remember, of course, that on Friday, Jesus was crucified uh, early in the day. Uh, He was crucified, uh, hung on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was darkness across the face of the earth, the Bible said. It was like, it was not just an eclipse. It was God somehow uh, took the sun away, put something in front of the sun, but it was dark from 12 till 3. At 3 o'clock, Jesus died And then he was placed in a tomb before sunset, and he was there, and there were Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb. They placed the seal of the Roman Empire on it, which basically meant the most powerful nation in the world. Nobody can can destroy or deter what's here. Well, that's what happened, but how many know Sunday morning changed everything? Yeah. Um, Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary went to look at the tomb. And at that time, there was a strong earthquake, and an angel of the Lord, listen to this, an angel came down from heaven and rolled the stone away. Now, Mary Magdalene had a Polaroid camera, and she took this. (laughs) How about that? You think about what that means. Let me know, dead people. Has anyone ever been to the cemetery and the guest of honor returned home? No, every time we go, they stay. Yeah. 
But Jesus went for just a little while, and then he, he rose. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. Now listen, he is not here. Say it with me. He has risen from the dead as he said he would. And since that miraculous morning, the world has never been the same. And because of Jesus Christ, I can say my world is not the same anymore. Come on now. I have hope when the world is hopeless. I have peace when the world is in turmoil. When the tornado was coming the other day, I was with my mom in Mississippi, and we got some water and we put it in the closet, but we weren't freaking out because I knew God was with me, watching over me. I'm telling you, a relationship with Jesus Christ is more than a belief. It is more than a religion, but it is a personal relationship with the God who is alive, who is with us every day of our lives. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, uh, I've been thinking about my message for several weeks, and there's an idea that keeps resonating in my mind uh, about what to talk about, uh, and that is this. Before Jesus died, he never said goodbye. How many know the word goodbye has such finality to it? When we say goodbye, particularly in certain situations, we know we're either not going to see that person for a while or we're not going to see him again. It's a, it's a word of closure. It's a word that says things are going to change. But Jesus didn't say that. Uh, instead, he said, I'll see you later. L listen to this. John 16, Jesus said, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Now, he predicted this on Friday when he's talking to his disciples before he would be arrested in the garden that night. Uh, you will see me again. And because he predicted this, his death was deliberate. It was not because he was not stronger than those Roman soldiers, but it was a deliberate um, uh, effort to pay the penalty and price for your sin and mine on the cross of Calvary. And that's why Jesus died. And he was, in the he was in the grave. He was in the tomb. And then he took the keys of hell and death. <laughs> Come on now. He conquered death so we could believe that we could live after we die. And that, friends, is the resurrection story. But what I want to do today is I want to tell you three reasons why the resurrection is the most significant event in human history. Now, let me say that again. There has been, been climactic moments. How many know if you would arguably, the, the two events that shaped human history were the birth and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there was a time when our calendar was divided by the birth of Christ. There was a time when you could go in museums or, 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 or display, places of display and you would see uh, 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, and then you would see perhaps 300 A.D. A.D. means not after death. It means it's a Latin term that means in the year of our Lord. But as we have become sophisticated and godless and secular as a world, we've gotten rid of Jesus' timing. So no longer is it before Christ. Now it's before the common era, B.C.E., and I'm not sure what the after is. But our world has changed. Our world doesn't recognize it. But I stand before you today. When Jesus rose from the dead, he changed the world. And not only did he change the world, but he made a way for you and I to be able to experience a change that makes our life better now and for all eternity. We're going to talk about three things. Number one, the resurrection proves his words in the Bible are true. And I'm going to challenge your thinking here. Secondly, it'll be very personal. We're going to talk about facing trouble with God. 
How many know peace, hope, and strength are what we need in times when we feel helpless? And then lastly, we'll talk about, which is arguably the most important, is that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope that we can live after we die. So let's jump into this together. I've entitled it, Jesus Never Said Goodbye. Uh, Here's the first one. Uh, This first reason why the resurrection is so important is because the resurrection proves that the words of Jesus in the Bible are true. Now, let me say that again. It is the resurrection that attests to the fact that it's true. Here's what the angel uh, said to the women at the tomb in Luke's gospel. The angel said, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Now, they're at the cemetery, and I dare say everyone in this room has been to a funeral. I remember my first funeral. It was with my Uncle Earl. I was 12 years old. Uncle Earl used to take me fishing. We used to go quail hunting together, and I, I, I didn't like being there. I didn't want to stay with the crowd I I saw him in the coffin. It frightened me, and uh, I I can remember. He was buried in Memphis, Tennessee, and I can remember going away, and, you know, I was being tough, and I remember crying. How many know when we go to the cemetery, there's a sense of finality to it? But yet the angel said, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. Now listen to this. Here's going to be my point. Remember what he told you while he was alive. That the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men by Judas and be crucified, and he would rise again the third day. Now look at verse 8. Then they remembered that he had said this. Now, where I'm going with this, Jesus predicted not only his death but his resurrection, and no one else in human history has ever died, come back to life, and is still alive. Now, there have been many people who have died and have been resuscitated through medical care. We're grateful for that. But guess what? They died again. Lazarus in the Bible was raised from the dead, but he would die again one day. Jesus died, buried, came back to life. He's still alive today. He's at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. And one day Jesus is coming back to the planet as King of kings and Lord of lords. So he is alive Um, And because these words, this prediction he made were true of this uh, enormity, everything else he said is true. Now, I want you to just think on that just a minute. Because he predicted his death and resurrection and that supernatural event happened, I can believe that everything else he said was true. Now, I'm going to give you three examples of what he said, what I think are perhaps the most important. Number one, Jesus said the Bible, God's Word, is the source of all truth. Now, we're going to talk about this word truth, but Jesus, in John 17, he's speaking to God the Father about his followers. And I want you to listen to these words. He said, sanctify them. He's talking about followers of Christ, like most of us. And and he said, sanctify them, which means set them apart for holy service to God in the, in the truth. So Jesus said there was a, such a thing as truth. Now, if you've been to college, a secular institution in the last probably 30 years or, or longer, you've been taught that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You've been taught that, and when I say absolute truth, I mean something is either right or it's wrong, 
And it's not just right in America, in Texas. It's not just right in a blue state or a red state. But if it's right here in America, it's right in Brazil. It's right in Spain. It's right in China. It is right in 2023. It was right in 1800 and it was right in 1100 AD. There is absolute right, absolute truth, absolute right and wrong. And here's where the world diverges from this thought. The world doesn't believe in that. But then Jesus went a step further and he said, your word is truth. So Jesus told us the Bible is truth. Uh, it's absolute truth. And our culture is confu- confused about right and wrong. It, it, does it feel like to you our world has just gone crazy? I mean, usually, usually we, we uh, it, it, embrace what science tells us. I got to be honest with you. I've become skeptical. Uh, well, I'll talk more about my skepticism later, but the Bible speaks into the issues of the current day. Uh, let's think just a moment about this whole idea of gender identity, uh, uh, that I, I can be a biological male, science proves that, and yet I can feel like I am a woman and I can make myself into a woman. That, that used to be a term used by psychiatrists that was called gender confusion or gender dysphoria. And what we would do as a culture is we would try to help that person uh, understand who God created them to be, not lead them in a path of deception, not reach out to teenagers in some cases without their parents' knowledge and take a young girl that's perhaps 14 years old, remove her breasts so she'll never nurse a baby, remove her womb so she'll never give birth to a child, and they still cannot make her a biological man even if they make some fake parts. But the world is pushing this and confusing people. Now, let me say this about our church. If you are confused about who you are, gender confusion, whatever, transgender, you are welcome here. Let me tell you online, if you're watching, we'll love you. We'll help you understand how God created you to be. I don't judge people. Listen, I've gotten past that. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're, you know, with the color of your skin. I don't care if you have tattoos or don't tattoo, have tattoos. I don't because I'm scared of needles. I think, I do think they're kind of sexy. And I've encouraged my wife to put, you know, I, I, I'm John Miller's wife on my head, but she, she, she's been unwilling to do that so far. Uh, but, but, but if you look around you today, you'll see all different types of people. Because how many know we're all created in the image of God? And our world is confused about marriage. Our world is confused about if a child in the womb is a child, a living human being created by God, or something subject to disposal in medical waste. You know, we just uh, placed in, in, in our Supreme Court the last nominee. Uh, she couldn't even tell us the definition between a, what a man and a woman was. So we're confused as a culture. But I want to tell you, friends, whatever it may be, sexual morality, uh, culture has turned the opposite direction. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to the Bible as the source of truth. And I'm going to, if you want to say it this way, I'm going to take the chance, I'm going to risk it, that the Bible is true and God's Word is true, that one day there is going to be a resurrection, one day there's going to be a judgment, there's a real place called heaven, Jesus is the way to heaven, and I'm going to believe in Him and follow Him. 
Now, all of us get to choose what we believe, but let me leave this point and say this. I love you, and this church will love you no matter who you are or what you've done or how bad you've been. Come on now. Jesus takes us all right where we are, and he turns us into the person that he wants us to be. So that's the first thing Jesus said is the Bible is the source of truth. Here's the second one, and, and, and we miss this sometimes, but Jesus says he can give us a better life right now. Now, listen to John 10, 10. Jesus is saying he's the good shepherd, and he contrasts himself with the devil, who's the thief, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Older translation says, I've come to give you abundant life. Now, listen, this does not mean you'll never have any problems. I mean, no Christians, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. (laughs) But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But in the midst of it, what I want to tell you is Jesus can still give us a better life. There was a man here last night, he, 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 a diabetic, a Christian, loves God, leader in our church, had to have part of his foot removed, and he's still saying, Jesus is still good. God is still good. I'm telling you, if things are bad in life, if they're troubled, if you've been hurt, Jesus can heal you if you have been raped, if you have been abused, you are not a victim. Listen, friend, I don't care what circumstances you were raised in, if you never knew your mother or father, you are not a victim. You can be a child of God. God can heal what's broken in your life. God is a good God, and you can have a better life right now. Come on. Now, go for the good side. 40 years I've been married to one woman. She hadn't, she hadn't fooled around. You hadn't fooled around me. Okay, she says she has not, but she hadn't fooled around on me. Because I, ha- I, I couldn't handle it. Siri told me the average marriage lasts eight years. I got 40 years and, go- and counting. I have three wonderful children. One's on the front row, Rebecca here today, and her husband, Blake, who I hope takes care of me in my old age. But <laughs> I got three wonderful kids. I got grandkids. I got a garden. I love to garden. I got a turkey last week. I, 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 I drive a Ford truck. I mean, you know... You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm just saying God is good. And whether I'm having problems or no problems, God is still good. We used to say it, God is good all the time and all the time. Come on, God is still good. You say, well, what if the doctor has given me a a diagnosis that I'm about to die? Well, I got news for you. You're going to die anyway, but if you're a Christian, you're going to a better place. We, 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 may be, we may be sad we're leaving family and friends and the things we like to do, but the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the thing that God prepared for those that love him. So I'm telling you, life is better with Jesus. Now let me give you the third thing he said, and this is, this is you need to listen because this is the heart of the matter. Jesus said, heaven and hell are real. And Jesus said, he is the only way to heaven. Now, you've been schooled by secular culture to call me a narrow-minded bigot. It's okay. But I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, way, definitive article, the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Now, coming to the Father means going to heaven. So, now think of what he said. I'm the way. The way where? 
the way to a better life now and the way to eternal life. I'm the truth as opposed to that which is false. I'm the life. I'm the life that you're living today. I'll help you have a better business. I'll help you. I'll show you how to have a good marriage, how to treat your children. I'll show you the way to eternal life because Jesus is the only way. Now, this is where the world gets upset. Why? All religions are the same. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's many ways up the mountain? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, Jesus said there's not. And the reason that there's not, listen, and, and this is on the screen, but this is probably the most important thing I'll say all day today, but this will help you understand why the death and resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity unique and the way to go. It is only Jesus that has dealt with sin in a way that's acceptable to God. Now listen, man can make a religion, but how many know God, the creator of the universe and the world, the sustainer, and one day the ultimate judge, how many know he makes the rules? In our democratic society, we elect lawmakers, they make rules, and then a judge stands and he asks the question, did you break the rule or did you not? Did you abuse the child or did you not? Because if you did, you're going to the pokey for 20 or 30 years. Are you with me today? There's laws and rules, and one of the laws of God is the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, why is that? Because it was on that cross that Jesus lived a perfect life, sacrificed his life as a substitute for us. He took the punishment for our sins so we wouldn't have to be judged if we would believe and follow him. That, friend, is the Christian message in a nutshell. Uh, for example, let's say uh, uh, you have this car uh, truck, whatever you got that you, that you really like. Uh, uh, I drive a Ford truck. My wife drives a little Prius and she get, I get 18 miles to the gallon and she gets 55. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I can haul more gardening supplies in my truck than she can haul in her Prius though. But let's say you owe, I don't know, $15,000 and you lose your job and you can't pay and it comes down, you know, <laughs> I'm either going to have the lights on, the electricity and food to eat or I'm going to make this car payment. And uh, you can't make it, you get a couple notices and one day the repo man comes up. I mean, no, that's a bad day. Because this repo man's not by himself. You know, he's big and burly and he's got a big guy with him and they both got guns and they're coming to get your car. And he sticks his hand out and says, sir, give me the keys. And all of a sudden... Somebody that you do not know walks up to the repo man with this big wad of $100 bills and says, how much does she owe? $14,922.32. And he starts pulling out $100 bills. And he just finally gets to $15,000 and says, keep the change. You needed a tip. You were good today. And then the guy turns and gives her the keys back and said, honey, drive your car. It's paid in full. Well, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the mortgage of our sin. He paid the debt for our sin. Now, listen to me just a second. If you're here and you're a skeptic, and I understand skepticism, um, there was a time in my life not too long ago where two of the greatest institutions in America I trusted were the CDC, Center for Disease Control, and the AMA, the American Medical Association. But when I watched what happened during COVID and I watched the mixed messages, I lost a confidence in something. I have lost a confidence, and I'm just being honest today, 
in my government when I watch political parties use the FBI to silence their opponents, when they use the IRS to punish people who don't follow the party line. So I understand skepticism in society. Uh, I, I subscribe uh, on, on my phone to both uh, liberal and conservative websites, and it's amazing how they look at the same facts differently. But when it comes to religion, you could be an atheist or an agnostic. And if you are, whether you're watching online or here, I want to encourage you to write this down. Write yourself a little note. There's a book or a movie I want to recommend to you. It's called The Case for Christ. And you say, okay, well, there's hundreds of books. Now, listen to this book. It was written by an investigative journalist who happened to be an atheist. His name was Lee Strobel. He was an educated, is an educated man. He got his journalism degree at the University of Missouri. Then he went to Yale University, got a master's, and then he went to Harvard. And what he did is he set about to disprove the resurrection. Because if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity falls apart. But I want to read you two quotes from his book. The first one, he says, I started out as an atheist, utterly convinced that God did not create people, but that people created God in a pathetic effort to explain the unknown and temper their overpowering fear of death. So you just can just kind of feel this prideful, arrogant man, educated. I mean, no, you can be educated the wrong way. I mean, no, you can be extremely educated and extremely stupid at the same time. If the foundation or basis of your education is wrong, if the basis is there is no God somewhere in your superstructure of knowledge, you're going you're gonna to go off track. But listen to what he said. Now, he gave a journey to this. I understand several years. He went to the Holy Land. He talked to rabbis. He talked to archaeologists. He talked to Christian theologians. And he said this, I've traveled the world. I've searched high and low. I've found nothing that satisfies my mind, my heart, and the deepest longing of my soul like Jesus does. Come on now, give the Lord a good hand today. And, and if you are not sure about the scientific or the rationale of believing in Jesus, you, you owe it to, to read, this, uh, to read uh, his, his writings or to, or to look at his movie. And let me, say, let me say this to you. There was a great philosopher. Uh, his name was, uh, what was his name? Blaise Pascal uh, uh, lived 15, 1600s, a mathematician, a philosopher, and it's called Pascal's Wager. I don't know if modern philosophy books teach it or not, but they should, because basically what he said, based on the Bible's promises about the possibility of heaven and hell, you'd be a fool not to believe in heaven, because <laughs> the possibility that eternity can be true. Okay, so let's move on. The second reason, and this gets very personal, the second th reason that the resurrection is the most significant event in human history is because it gives the Christian peace, strength, and hope to face the future and troubles in our life. I mean, no troubles are everywhere. There's always things to be afraid of. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16. In me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. And how many can say our world out there is pretty troubled and sometimes it's hard to find peace? It's, it, it, it's hard to find peace in a closet when the tornado's coming by. But I want to tell you, friend, there's a secret place of the Almighty God that we can run to in these difficult times. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And in essence, if I've overcome the world, then you can overcome too. 
You may go through a difficult time. You may get bruised up and banged up. But I'm telling you, friends, you come out on the other side smelling like a rose because of Jesus. Uh, He said, I give you peace. And he said this too. Matthew 28, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, would you say that that includes the year 2023? So Jesus said, I'm with you. Okay, look around the room. Where is he? Well, you don't see him with your physical eyes, but the Bible teaches that if I become a Christian, a believer, God the Holy Spirit comes to live inside my life. And there's this literal presence, this awareness. I'm not talking mysticism. I'm not talking, you know, psychic hotlines and all that. I'm talking about the reality that God is near. And let me tell you how it works. Anybody ever had surgery? Yeah. How many know the difference between major and minor surgery? Minor surgery is when it's on you. Major surgery is when it's on me. (laughs) And if you believe in God, you face surgery differently than someone who doesn't. How many know you both trust the surgeon? You both trust the anesthesiologist. You both trust the nurses. Your wife's holding your hand in the little room, but when they wheel you out, you're by yourself on that table and somebody's getting a paycheck. Come on now. And they see people die all the time. But as a Christian, I had my knee operated on. They're wheeling me out and I'm saying to myself, Isaiah 41.10, fear not because God is with me. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. You say, what if it's not true? What if it is true? (laughs) Works for me. How many can say, I know what you're talking about, preacher. It works for me too. Come on, give the Lord a good good hand today. (laughs) Let me give you another one about strength. Have you ever just felt like you couldn't keep going? You ever felt like what you had to do was just too difficult? Maybe you lost your job and nobody wants your resume. You're too old. It'd be easier to just stay home and drink another cold one, and I don't mean lemonade. Have you ever had to face something in a lawyer's office or a doctor's office or your boss's office or stand before a judge and just feel like, I, 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 I can't do this. I'm not able. I want to tell you, God can make you able. I want to tell you, the Bible says that when I'm weak, then I'm strong because of the power of Christ in me. Let me give you an example of this. You remember Simon Peter? Now, Peter was one of the first disciples. He was a fisherman. And when I picture Peter, I picture this big burly guy, you know, a guy that's got a clump of hair hanging out of his shirt and, you know, he's got muscles and he doesn't work out at the gym. I mean, he's just tough. His hands are one big callus and you just feel like you've just grabbed this hand that's twice as big as yours. I mean, it's just kind of how I feel like Peter was. He's a tough guy. He didn't take any sass off anyone. If it rained the night before, the boat was full of water. He didn't say, will somebody come help me get the water out of my boat? He just went over and flipped it over. But you know what happened when they came and arrested Jesus? Peter ran away like a scared child. And he followed at a distance. And the next morning, they were asking three people, said, you were with Jesus. And one of them was a little girl. Imagine 13-year-old girl asked Peter, are you one of Jesus' disciples? And he vehemently denied that he was. 
This guy's scared. The next day, Jesus is dead. He's hiding. But something happened on resurrection morning. He and John ran to the tomb and saw it was empty. And I bet you they both started laughing. Come on now. I bet they did a little holy jig. But it still wasn't enough. And a few days later, they're in the upper room praying, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he's just going out telling people about Jesus. And God uses him to do a supernatural healing miracle. There's a man who can't walk a cripple. He asked Peter for money, and Peter says, I don't have any money. But he said, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this guy stands up. And he starts walking. Well, the Jews, now think about this now. The Jews that killed Jesus now want to kill Peter. This same guy that was scared to death for a couple days, and I want you to listen to what they said to him. The council of all the Jewish rulers. This is like rolling up in a ball, the FBI, SWAT, IRS, and the mafia all together. The council of all the rulers demanded Peter, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Well, uh, it's, it's the God of our fathers, and I didn't, it, I, it wasn't even me. It was him, and if you just let me go, I'd never do it again. Isn't that what a scared person would say? Listen to what he said. Peter said, let me clearly state this to all of you. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead. Now, how in the world do you turn from a scared guy of a 13-year-old girl shaking your finger at the very people that killed Jesus? I'm telling you the resurrection can give you power. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit can give you power to be an overcomer. I'm telling you that you, as weak as you may feel, when you go out, you can have courage to face the battles of life because the greater is he that is in me, come on, than he that is in the world. Give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, let me, let me wrap this up. The third reason the resurrection is the most significant, and this is what I would say is the most important. So if you've been thinking about Cracker Barrel or walk-ons, okay, just forget them just a minute, okay? I got something better for you. The resurrection of Jesus gives us confidence that we can live after we die. Let me say it again. It gives us confidence that we can live after we die. Take a picture here. We just found this picture on the Internet. I don't know the people, but obviously mom has a terminal sickness. She's about to die. They've called in the family. It looks, looks like her husband, two daughters, a granddaughter, and they're in the hospital room. How many know it doesn't get more real than that? And I don't care how many vitamins you take and how much you work out. If you're in that spot, there's only one thing that matters. You're either going to say a final goodbye or you're going to say, I'll see you later depending on whether or not you have taken the words of Jesus into your life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Say this with me. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone. I don't care how bad you've been. God can forgive you. God can give you a second chance at life. I don't care how many times you've backslidden and the life that you lived is a roller coaster. When you come humbly before God, he washes your sins away. And when you stand before him on judgment day, he will welcome you and say, well done. Come on. He is our God. He is our Savior. 
And I'm going to ask you a question. We don't like to bring it up, and particularly if you're young, you don't think about dying. Because you have health and wealth, why do you need God? Well, can I tell you, friend, life can change just like that. And I want to ask you the most serious question I've asked in this morning. Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Now, you're watching online. I hope you're listening today. There's nothing more important than that. Uh, what I'd like to do, here's how I'd like to close the service. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Same time, I'd like to give you an opportunity if you're a Christian, but you've gotten off track. And how many know what we all do? And you've gotten away from God. And you know God's not where he needs to be in your life. And you want to recommit your life to Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. Here's what Jesus said, or what was said about Jesus by John. Um, John 1.12, to all who believed in him. Now, listen to this. This is very important. Because it's, twi- it's a little twist on this word believe. Who believed him and accepted him or received him, he gave the right to become a child of God. I'm convinced that the most misunderstood word when it comes to the gospel is the word believe. Because believe is an action word. Believe is not a passive word. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? God forbid, but let's say you're sitting in the church service today and your your, your phone's on silent, but it keeps buzzing. And finally you look at it and it's a text message from a police officer. And it says that your child has been in an auto accident. Come to St. Michael's. Yeah, but I got to go to, I got reservations to walk on at, you know, 1245. I mean, no. If you believed it, what would you do? You'd get to St. Michael's. You would act. I was raised in a Methodist church, and I'm grateful for it. I learned John 3.16. I've always believed there was a God. And I would even say I've always believed in Jesus. But that part, I never accepted him. I never received him in my life. Let me explain this word receive, how it works. Let's say, like my nana, my grandmother, she told me that I was the most handsome boy and the smartest and, 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 and the best boy that's ever been born. And I happen to believe that, by the way. But, 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 but let's say it's my birthday. And nana's hip, she's on Facebook, or she's on FaceTime, and, and we FaceTime, and she says, she says, honey, Nana's got a present for you. I want you to come to my house and get it. I got some cookies and I made some of your favorite whatever punch or whatever, whatever it is. Come on over. Well, how many know that gift belongs to you right now? But it never becomes yours until you go to grandma's house and receive it. And she puts it in your hand and you open it up. Come on now. And it's a brand new turkey call and you just get so (laughs) excited. That's the same thing. I hope you see the parallel for the cross. When I was a boy, I I went to church. And when I was in trouble, it's like the cross representing God. I was following John's ways. I was successful. I was a great athlete. I was smart in school. I had girlfriends and all that kind of stuff. If I'd ever get in trouble, I'd turn to God and say, God, would you help me, (laughs) please? And he'd help me, and then I would keep going my way. Christianity involves a turn. True belief is an action word. Now, if, if I were you, and I, you, if you're sitting here today, the most important question I think you should be asking is if I believe Jesus died for my sins, how do I receive him as my Savior? 
And let me tell you simply what the Bible says. It costs you nothing, but it costs you everything. Listen to what the Bible says. The first thing I need to do is to be willing to turn from my sin and turn to God. And I must be willing to not be perfect, but I must be willing to turn to the cross and willing to follow Jesus. The second thing the Bible teaches we need to do is we need to pray. We need to ask for God's forgiveness, that he would wash our sins away and invite Christ into our life. That happens in prayer. And then the obvious thing we do next is we follow Jesus. We endeavor to live God's ways. Now, in just a moment, I'd like to pray for you. You know you're standing with God. You know if you're right with God. You know if you're 100% sure you'd go to heaven or not. But all that can change in a moment of time. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, if you'd like for prayer, to commit your life to Christ and become a Christian, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You say, well, why would you do that, Pastor? I want you to read some of the words of Jesus on this screen because that's a very bold thing. Here's this, my last scripture verse. It says this, All those who stand before others and say they believe in me I'll say before my Father in heaven, they belong to me. What does that mean? That means Christianity is not a private religion. Christianity is a public religion. Christianity is lived out seven days a week. It's lived out at school. It's lived out in the home. It's lived out at work. And the first thing I do is a step to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ.